You're listening to the Scottish Football Forum's podcast, Euro Special, the home of Euro 2020 banter. Hello and welcome to the latest Euros edition of the Scottish Football Forum's podcast. You heard the latest one about the Englishman, the Welshman and the Scotsman walking onto a podcast? Well, we've had the media version, now it's the turn of the fans as we have a trio of podcasts gathering the thoughts of supporters of the three home nations taking part in the delayed Euro 2020. First up, we have England fan Russell Osborne, host of the Three Lions podcast, to speak about his memories following the England national team, looking forward to the Euros and, of course, that old enemy clash on 18th of June at Wembley. Before we start... Here's a quick word on behalf of our sponsors, Manscaped. They are offering listeners of the podcast 20% off any products on their website. This includes the Lawnmower 3.0 razor, created for grooming both the body and the groin. It comes complete with a trimming guard, a skin-safe blade, and is safe to use in the shower. To get your discount, simply go to uk.manscaped.com and enter the discount code SFFPODCAST, all in uppercase. The kick-off for the delayed Euro 2020 finals is edging ever closer, so sit back and enjoy a fan's outlook on the big event. In part one of the fan special um, for previewing the Euro 2020 finals, um, I am joined by England fan and host of the Three Lions podcast, Russell Osborne. Russell, thank you for um, coming along. How are you doing? Yeah, no, thank you very well. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me on. Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you. All good. Yes. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, I obviously came across you because when I was planning this back in January, I was looking for English football and up come three lines. I thought, well, that's a good start. So how did your podcast come about? Uh, do you know, it it began back in 2017 time. Um, and it was actually run by someone else, uh, by a fellow called Ryan Power. And I believe he'd done about, I don't know, three, four episodes on his own. And... I just by chance was sort of, you know, tapping away on a computer, Googling away, and England podcast is there something out there. I mean, I've, I've had previous radio experience, um, and I kind of thought I wanted to hear the sound of my own voice again. <laughs> so, I, uh, <laughs> so I got in touch with him, and I said, look, do you want a, do you want a sidekick, someone you can just bounce some ideas off? Um, and he said, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Well, we gave it a little trial, um, and, and we'd done... I don't know. We we may have done about seven or eight together, which which was great. Um, it was it was ticking along nicely, and then he oh just up to, coming up to Christmas New Year two thousand and eighteen. He said, "Look, I, I can't commit to it anymore. Um, do you want to take it on on your own?" And I was like, "I don't know to be honest, because all I'd just turn up at on a, uh, a Skype or Zoom call at whatever time we'd arranged and uh, and he'd do the rest. He'd edit it, he'd upload it and all that. I'd never done anything like that before. Um, so I had to think about it and I thought, well, do you know what? I was enjoying it. Um, why not give it a whirl? And, and I can take it in my own direction then. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was. There was the initial one with just him, then it was a joint one, uh, and then it was me. And, and here I am still going, what, three and a bit years later on my own. 
that's some story. I mean, you, you, you only went to find an interest in it and then you end up taking it over of it and that obviously wasn't part of the plan <laughs> wasn't no no tell me about it but ah, oh, it it takes up some time though um but then i kind of think what would i be doing otherwise probably only sitting in front of the telly yeah that's very true and certainly this past year podcasting has been quite good to keep us all going because we can't go to games Absolutely. we can't really do much so who knows what will be now that we're on the way out, but hope, I'm sure it will continue. And um, what to, um, your podcast is clearly about the England national team, but what angle do you take to try and make it successful? Well, I mean, initially when when the pair of us was doing it together, it it was very sort of men's senior centric. It was let's just talk about the the, the men's senior team, um, and and then I think looking back on it, I tried to introduce maybe a couple of little different angles maybe about the lionesses and, and i seem to remember we touched on the was it the it was the under 17s the under 18s as well won the the world cups and the european championships back end of 2017 so i was trying to get in all sorts of england angles and and then it came to me doing it on my own um i thought right this is an opportunity to talk to as many people about every angle of England football. I mean, England, the FA's England team, or the umbrella as it were, I think has got about 30 different teams under it, be it youth teams, men's senior, lionesses, para um, teams, there's beach football. There's so many different types of England team um, that I, uh, I thought, right, these, these all need exploring. Um, and I think the first, the first show or the first episode that I'd done on my own, um, I, the, I think it coincided with the the new release of the England shirts back then. And I don't know if you're aware of him, but I, I spoke with John Devlin. The he's a, a football shirts connoisseur. Um, he's oh, wrote yes. wrote some lovely books. Um, True Colours um, are, are the two main ones. Um, and I spoke to him about England football shirts, so it's it's quite diverse. But yeah, generally it is it is the men's senior team. But there's there's so many other avenues out there, and I think people sort of react to that. I think I think they like to hear these things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the way I've looked at it from our own podcast, we try and cover different angles. Like we try and cover women's football. Um, we've had a couple of women's um, football guests, which have been good. We've covered Scottish junior football. We cover. Um, the, the four leagues. We even recently, one of our guys has been doing um, ret- a few retro ones, which has been good. And you've obviously have come across um, a couple of your retro ones, like um, Eng- England down to ten men. I thought was quite quite funny. And the one I really liked was your Latournois um, podcast. That was really good. Yeah, no, they're they're good ones. Where um, they take a lot of time and effort to sort of investigate and and go back through it all and work out the, the finer details but yeah it's enjoyable to um to go back and look at the history uh, and and being sort of taking it from a scotland angle i don't know if you if you heard this one but i i looked at the very first england game or the very first international which was played in scotland yeah. back in 1872 um and i i put quite a lot of time effort and money into that one because i flew up to glasgow and went to um i interviewed the um the create the curator at the at hamden museum where they've got the 
the ticket for the very first game. Mm. I went to the cricket ground where the game was played. Um, I investigated within the same episode the the England captain of the day, whose name escapes me now. That's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I went and found his grave. It's in oh. um, in in a cemetery in London. Um, all these things just sort of interwoven within that very first England game, England-Scotland game back in 1872, the very first international. So, yes, yeah, there's so many different angles that you can you can look at. Uh, that, that's that's excellent. I'll need to um, try and find that one in your archive. Um, and I know we're promoting it in Scotland, so I don't know how many more listeners you'll get up here, but where can we <laughs> find um, your podcast? <laughs> Where can you find it? Well, it's yeah, yeah three three lions podcast.com. Um, and it's obviously always on all the, the usual channels like iTunes, Spotify, um, basically wherever you find your your podcast, you'll you'll generally find it there. Yeah, no, so we'll, we'll give you a little plug in there. So um yeah, Thank so you. we're obviously going to be previewing them um, this summer's um championships, but before we even get to that. Um, obviously England and Scotland are going to be playing each other again um, which takes you back 25 years to when England last official hosted tournament I mean you're kind of hosting this tournament this year because you've got your three home games if you win if you're good enough to beat us to win the group <laughs> um, you'll be Wembley again because given that Dublin's been taken away and then you get Wembley again for the semi-final and final so it's almost the home tournament and it just brings you back straight back to year 96. And um, you said to me that you've attended a, f- a few games there. So just tell me what that was like being there as a fan. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I only went to the one game um, during Euro 96. And it was my very first England game. Um, I'd previously been to Wembley before, but it was, yeah, my very first England game was the England-Scotland game. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I seem to remember... I. I got it through some the ticket through a bank. Um, yeah, you had to go and fill out a piece of paper and and just tick which games you wanted or something like that. It must have been probably one of the sponsors, I think. And I sent it off in the post. Um, I don't I don't remember whether it said you either want a Switzerland game, you either want the Scotland game, or the, the Netherlands game, or, or however it was done, but. I just remember a, a ticket turning up and I would have been, I think I was about 17, I think at the time, and just a ticket turning up in, in the front door. Um, I probably came home from school. My parents had put the uh, had put the envelope on the side and I'd come home, opened it up. I've got a Euro 96 ticket. Um, so, yeah, I, I got that and I was like, wow, it's, it's the Scotland game as well. Um, but, yeah, I remember watching... Switzerland on the telly being really excited that the tournament had started um I mean that game was a little bit flat to be fair as as opening games tend to be um and then yeah it came around to the to the Scotland game um it was all all in the news that England had to win following that sort of the draw against Switzerland um yeah it was it was just something else really and and Probably a lot of it was the the Scottish fans. Um, Where I was standing, I was behind the goal that David Seaman saved Gary McAllister's penalty. Um, And I can just remember when when Scotland 
were awarded the penalty, just this huge noise. The Scots and their section were to my left, and it was just raucous. It was it was big noise when they when they won the penalty. I mean, it was even bigger when Seaman saved it. Um, but just yeah, that whole atmosphere of an England Scotland game, my first one as well. It was. It's just something else, just just the taste of Wembley, the everything. Um and obviously the goals topped it off with the uh, and the result. And then we went on to uh to beat the Netherlands and, and well, we scraped past Spain and yeah. and uh, and then yeah, then Germany saw us off, didn't they, eventually. Yeah, I mean that that's also a good um, first England game to go to, and the fact that you won as well. I mean um, that that Gary, from our point of view, obviously the Gary McAllister penalty is a sliding doors moment. I mean I was so confident he was going to score. He was normally such an assured penalty taker before and after that penalty, he proved that. But on that occasion, he changed tactic and it didn't work. Um, no, it's just what he's saying. And then Gascoigne just rubbed it in by scoring that great goal. You've got to say no, oh. um, but. Um, and then Seaman um, decides to let win in against Holland. But to be fair, I mean, the permutations before that game, to be fair, we were needing like, to win 3-0 against Switzerland and England um, to win 1-0. So England went above the call of duty. Scotland just didn't do enough in the night against Switzerland. But it's just one of these things and adds to our long and glorious chapter of glorious failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say any more on that. That's... Uh... <laughs> No, but it was. Um, but, I mean, you said a good. You, you certainly had a good run at it. There's no doubt that that was the. Um, that was your best chance of winning a tournament up until the 2018 World Cup, and I think if the I think of the Shearer Gascoigne chance in extra time, I think if Gascoigne had um, had it been the other way about Gascoigne setting up Shearer, who has that striker's instinct, I think you win the game there. Yeah, quite possibly. And I mean, not forgetting as well, Anderton hit the post um, in extra time shortly before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can still see it now. Um, Gascoigne just sliding in and oh, how how far away? I mean, it was, I don't know. It, it wasn't... Uh, yeah, it was It was a, 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 a boot um, stud, wasn't it? That is... Yeah, if only, if only. <laughs> we all have them. And um, yeah. you, you've also said that you, um, after your next six, you went to another two Euros and you've been to every World Cup from 2002 to 2018 through your travel club membership. Which um, of these finals did you enjoy the best? And not just from a performance point of view, but from a travel point of view. Well, I must say, actually, I didn't go to Brazil 2014. Oh, okay. um, no, that was my daughter was born that year. So it was sort of uh, my it's wife selfish. was pregnant then. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't think I could have got away with that one. Although, no. having said that, I went, I went to South Africa um, about two months before I got married. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But no, I mean, my um, the best, best tournament probably would be Japan. 2002 mm. um i mean we all love to travel i mean i, I love travel um and, and mixing travel with football it's it's fine yeah great let's go around europe and see all these sort of familiar places but when i got the opportunity to go to japan it was it was just such an eye-opener it's a, an amazing place i mean to the point where i've been back since um 
it's yeah i'm mean, looking back on it the games were were great although a couple of england ones were a bit suspect um but at the same time it was an opportunity just to go and see all these different parts of a country that were so alien really to us and still are i guess really um but i remember obviously all the hype in it hype up to it at the time saying oh japan is going to be really expensive um a pint of beer will cost you about eight nine ten pounds um and and train travel you have to look at getting a uh, one of these JR passes, and it all seemed ever so complicated. And it turned out that we got a beer for about three quid in this in this pub that we frequented quite often. Um, and the JR pass was fine to to sort out. Um, and the language barrier, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at the the hieroglyphics that you get in in Greece, it's it's pretty much the same as in Japan. Um, you, you you just get by, and and that's half the fun of travelling, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's just good to see some some different. If you've obviously been back to Japan, that obviously um, shows what a good impression. And there's always a perception of England fans abroad, but I am. But there's no doubt the majority behave themselves. So, I mean, what's the best? I mean, h- how well do you guys mix with them, um, the locals, when you're on the, on travels? I, I yeah, we'll we'll always like the group I go with. There's four of us. Um, generally, Is that one of the best who- things as well about traveling. Well, it's going in in a group. Yeah, as... and meeting up with fans of rival teams. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, especially in a in a tournament environment as well, where you can you can all of a sudden you're mixing with I don't know, sort of um, trying to think back to to various tournaments like German fans or, or Spanish fans or Peruvian fans, um, all different walks of life. Everyone got a different story to tell. Um, <laughs> sounds really cliche isn't it but football is a universal language isn't it and and we all get along i mean there is obviously this stigma that england fans have um it's unfortunate and it's i've only ever i've never really experienced any proper trouble i've been quite fortunate i mean i'm i'm fairly streetwise i know when to get out of the way i don't tend to frequent the uh, the major squares that um that a lot of England fans will go to. I'll go there for maybe for one or two beers, but not not when it's getting later on. Um but yeah it's it's great just following following football, being at a tournament and just just mixing with other cultures. There's so much you can learn and then seeing these places so much you can see as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, about the perception of England fans. I mean, obviously, we've played each other four times in the the naughty, in the twenty tens, and you know, from my experience, I was down in London twice, and uh, at Trafalgar Square there wasn't a bit of bother. The police just let everyone mix, and fans were coming out the game together. There was no holding back for fifteen minutes to let crowds disperse. It's the same up at Hamden as well um, when in the twenty seventeen game. So, um, you know, unfortunately, there's always going to be a five percent minority in and amongst that, but as as long as the major, you know the majority of fans behave themselves, and I think that's all that matters. At the end of the day, we're rivals, but it's just a game of football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, in terms of that Japan tournament as well, I mean that was another one you 
went quite close, you know, 1-0 at half. You were looking like 1-0 at half time and then you lose a goal just before half time and Ronaldinho has his moment. I mean, which is, apart yeah. from 96, which tournament has, um, you know, have you felt that England should have done better than what they did that in terms of they, they had a team good enough to win? Well, mm, well, I mean, I mean, there's there's the golden generation, isn't there? Where the uh, the two thousand and four, two thousand and six tournaments, where Portugal put paid to both of those, where where players like that, you think, well, perhaps there was two good players in each department, really, that maybe they 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 were too good. But just weren't good enough, in if that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, obviously seeing Rooney get sent off didn't help in 2006. Maybe we could have done better there. Um, in 2008, obviously we didn't didn't qualify. Um, well, it was Wally. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I was there for that one. Mm. Um, I mean. Sh- sh- Twenty. I mean, I kind of want to say, twenty sixteen. We should have done so much better, but but just failed to deliver on almost every front. We had we had so many good players, but just it it didn't happen. Um, and then obviously the World Cup, the most recent one in Russia, twenty eighteen, getting to the semi final. Perhaps we perhaps we ran out of steam. Um, maybe would we have? Would we have won against France? Probably not, I don't think. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess the golden generation is is the uh, the tournaments where we should have, where we failed to deliver, and, and we perhaps should have should have gone further. Yeah, there's an argument that you're maybe too cautious in certain games, especially in 2006, because I mean you had the squad, but I also think that yeah. Rush Rooney back too quickly because he was just back from a broken foot and he was almost like straight back in the team and um, and playing up front in his own, which isn't his strength. And Portugal got at him that day. And I mean, people say what they want about Ronaldo, etc. But at the end of the day, he stood in Cavalier's balls, so <laughs> you can't really argue into <laughs> the, the day. Um, but at least at least you've been there at major terms. We don't know what this feeling's like. We haven't had it for twenty three years. So, um, no, in terms, right. I tell you something from um, our point of view. Uh, the we get the England expect well up until a few years ago, probably the England expects drummed um, in our ears from the media. How do you guys feel about that from um, a fan's perspective? Do you, um, does that irritate you when the media hype up too much, or do you just join in? Oh, I wouldn't say I joined in. To be honest, um, I mean, I guess the last the last World Cup or, or the last World Cup following the the debacle in France in in Euro twenty sixteen, where mm. where expectation was so high, and then to to be eliminated in the way we did against Iceland, to then move into the qualifying campaign for Russia. And we just, I mean, qualifying campaigns is, uh, we, we, we just walked through them. It, it is the way it is. I don't want to sound, I mean, the results speak for themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's a fact. Um, and the hype wasn't really there going into Russia. 
So kind of feelings were, well, you know, if we get to the quarterfinals, we'll be happy with that. Um, got to the semifinals and then that's when you kind of think, oh, we need to win this. And that's when the media start to um, sort of hype things up more than more than they should. Uh, but I mean, that is the nature of their of their game, isn't it? They want to sell newspapers. They want to sell web space and just by hyping the England team up is what they continually do. And and then obviously when we fall, they, uh, they sort of come in and with a, uh, with a hammer and hit us a little bit harder then. Um, yeah, it is what it is, but no, I try not to get too carried away by it. Yeah, it'll be harder not to get carried away for this tournament because England are one of the front runners. Um, and as was mentioned before, it's essential home tournament for, um, for England, the way things are panning out. Um, and the, I'm, I, I would expect England to go far. I don't know personally if I, I think they'll, I don't think they'll win it, but I think you might be a semi final again. I just think that Belgium and maybe France will have a bit much. How do you feel about the England squad this year? Because there's no doubt that there's a talented squad that's gathering more experience and a lot of your players, like Foden and uh, Sterling and um, Mason Mount, you know, are getting great experience at Champions League level as well. And they're obviously going to be playing the Champions League final um, in a couple well, of weeks. That's, yeah, that's right. I mean, getting these experience in such big games, Champions League finals, Europa League finals for the likes of the Manchester United players. Mm-hmm. It's what you want these players to be experiencing. You want to, them to be experiencing the highest pinnacle in, in the domestic game. You want them to understand what it's like, the pressure, what it's like, because then they can then take that into a national team environment um, and and understand what it's like then. And then they can pass on that experience, that knowledge to players that maybe haven't been in that environment. Um, so, yeah, it's good that they are experiencing that. On On the other hand, I don't quite know they're playing these extra games. It's going to be a little bit more travelling for them, uh, how that will impact on their performance in the, in the Euros uh, remains to be seen. How do I think we'll do? I don't know. It's, it's a strange one. I mean, obviously, all the talk was what eighteen months ago. How do you think we'll do? And and at the time, I was like, you know, what if we get to the semi-finals? I'll be happy because then it can go anywhere. And and obviously, it's it is almost a home tournament. Uh, it's only the the quarter-final should we get there um, that will be away from Wembley. Um, but the world's changed, hasn't it, in eighteen months? <laughs> um, so you don't you don't really know. I mean, will how the, the likes of like Spain and Germany? I mean, incidentally, I think Spain, Germany, and Italy. You could almost say they've got a partial home tournament as well because they play all their group games um, on home turf. Um, so, I mean, you'd expect them to to come top of their respective groups. I think Spain actually could potentially play their round of 16 in Seville. Mm. Um, so they'll, if they win all of those, then they'll have like a, an impetus to, to go on. They'll be going on momentum and going into, um, into Wembley, possibly for a semi-final. It could be anyone's, really. Uh, I'm not as confident... 
as I was 18 months ago. But I think that is probably partially because of the situation that we've all experienced this past 18 months. Yeah, that's true. And obviously, um, we've been playing, we've been playing football in front of nobody, which just um, is not right. There's obviously going to be twenty five percent capacity at the majority of grounds. I think like St Petersburg's one of the few that's got fifty. Um, mm. They've managed to angle that one. Well done them. Um, and I mean, it, considering that at the start of the year it was looking like no fans at all at the tournament, which just would have been an absolute blow. It's it's a step in the right direction. It's not perfect. It's not 90,000 at Wembley or 50,000 at Hamden. 22,500, was it 25,000 at Wembley? It'll be 22,500, so, yeah, something like that. 22,500 is, is the yeah. figure they're quoting at the moment. And mm. whether that changes remains yeah. to be seen. But yeah, 22,500 is, is what has been said. Yeah, it's still good that um, we're getting that as opposed to nobody. I, I know the situation isn't perfect. I think you've got, like, I'm assume hopefully you've got a ticket for games. But the situation will be like you'll sit one space and then it'll be three seats before someone else, and you're not allowed to move to hug someone. That's going to be weird. Um, if yeah. and when you score a goal, yeah, I mean, yeah, if and when. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't want you to be too cocky. I think you will get a couple. But <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? I I had um, all the tickets um, as I follow my team um, right through to the final, and and then the other week UEFA cancelled all of those refunded me them and now it's down to the the england supporters travel club um to reballot for um the tickets now i mean it's going to depend on what i mean the the england travel club is is based on caps you get two caps per mm. game you go to i don't know yeah. if it's the same with the the scottish it's a similar um, system we've got a point system yeah. as well yeah so, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a fair amount of caps having been and gone over the years. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I'll uh, I'll get a ticket for a game. I'm, I'm still at this moment in time um, waiting to waiting for that email to say congratulations or or if I open up one of these emails, it says commiserations. I don't know what I'll be like. Um, I mean, hopefully it's a congratulations one, and I'm I'm feeling like I did when I was getting me a, a Scotland ticket for Euro '96. Oh, fingers crossed for you. Um, my situation, because of the amount of people that's probably ahead of me in the point in the point system, I would need um, five thousand Scotland um, Scotland support supporters club tickets to be allocated to be in with a chance. But I think realistically, we're probably going to get two or three thousand. Um, from the sports club after they take into consideration the UEFA ballot and the VIP stuff so mm, yeah. anything about anything above watching it in the house is a bonus for me but at least I'm, I'm just happy that I'm going to have the chance to have a friend to watch it because when we beat Serbia to qualify it was weird that everyone's in their house and nobody's in a pub and nobody's in Serbia in Belgrade it's just but it was still special nonetheless because when you've been waiting 23 years, it doesn't matter. <laughs> in terms of the group itself, I mean, how excited are you about the finals and the fact that you've got Scotland again? Do you know, I, I'm not as excited about the tournament as as I should be at the moment. And I mean, obviously, we're, we're speaking in advance of it. I think we're yeah, almost a month... <laughs> Yeah, a month away from from it all kicking off, and I don't know if it is because I don't know if I'm going. Um, I don't know 
if it's going to be like the reduced capacity. Um, I don't know. I mean, having not been in a environment as such since probably the last the last big event I probably went to. I don't know. Well, the last last football game I went to was Kosovo away. So, I mean, and there it was like we were all squeezed together and I haven't been in that sort of environment since. So it's sort of a bit of apprehension as well about it. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's, it's, it's exciting that life's getting back to normal as well. Mm-hmm. That even if it is only a quarter full Wembley, um, that should be something to to get excited about really um but yeah i mean with football football side of things yes getting excited about it that there is the opportunity that we could go far in this tournament i think we can i think we can beat an aging croatian team um and we saw that in the the nations league um in the games up, up in that the scotland game could go could go anyway but I don't know if there's going to be I don't, I don't know what the situation was it is with away fans that's been a lot of the talk with on the England sort of front of people I go to um, we've been talking it an England Scotland game regardless of where it's played either down here or, or up in Scotland should have away supporters because that's that's what makes it um and it'd be it'd be hard to have an England Scotland game with no Scotland supporters to to bounce off of really again thinking back to that 96 game where I was looking across and and they were just you were just all there um singing singing your hearts out and that was great but you'd want something like that again yeah it would be great I think I think we're getting like two or three thousand I think I've actually got as much chance of a ticket at Wembley as I have at Hampton the way the, the new met, the numbers work but um I don't think I'll be able to make uh, London, even if I was lucky enough to get a ticket, but we'll wait and see. You just never know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would expect. Um, I'm expecting England to probably win the group, but you just never know. On our day, we might catch you calls, but um, <laughs> you know, the, the stranger <laughs> things have happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, the squads have increased to 26. Um, who do you think will benefit more from an England point of view? Because um, you've, you've probably been working over the last couple of months on these podcasts, thinking, right, how do I narrow this down to 23? All right. I've got three more. So who who would you think is going to benefit at this stage? And as we say, we're talking 12th May. You never know who's going to get injured between now and the tournament. Exactly. I mean, when it came as out that it. there was... <laughs> when it came out that there was... the UEFA um, had said you can have an extra three players. I kind of thought, well, I understand why they're doing it for, like, um, the pressures on the players and that. But looking back over squads that have been picked for for Euro tournaments, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for Euro tournaments since I think it was I went back to two thousand and four. We've, there's always been players that didn't play. Um, I think two thousand and four there was seven players from a squad of twenty three that didn't play. Two thousand and twelve, I think maybe six didn't play. Twenty sixteen. A, a certain amount didn't play. So I wasn't actually that blown away that we, they'd added an extra three players. Mm-hmm. I don't think the 26 that he picks, and there's been talk that he will just pick a 23 with three standby players 
So anyone that's injured, suspended, or, or God forbid, COVID issues, um, that then only then will one of those three come in to, to the fold. Uh, and by all accounts, you can only have 23 players on a match day team sheet anyway. Um, so, but I mean, going back to the, the initial question, players that could benefit being in the squad. I mean, obviously, You've mentioned Mount and Foden have, have come in just when um, the time is right and this experience that, they, uh, that they're going to have in, in the Champions League hopefully will, will benefit them. And there's other little players. I mean, Jesse Lingard has, has just come in at the right time into some form. I mean, his move to West Ham, this, this loan deal to West Ham has just suited him down to the ground. And so he possibly could go into the uh, into the tournament sort of... He's gone in running, hasn't he? Um, yeah, so I think... I don't think there'll be any surprises, personally, in the squad that Gareth picks. There's obviously players on, on the fringe that gets a lot of talk, the likes of Patrick Bamford at Leeds, Aaron Wan-Bissaka at United, but neither of them have been involved in an England squad under Gareth Southgate. And I can't see him picking a player that he hasn't cast his eye over whilst at St George's Park. He, he's obviously seeing these players week in, week out, where he's going to, to watch them. And he'll see how good they are. I mean, he knows how good these players are. But it's when he gets them to St George's Park and he can actually see how they interact with other players. It's more how they get on off the pitch as well as to how they, they get on it um, that I think Gareth looks at. And I think there will be players that people will say, oh, really? Is, is he being picked? But I think, I mean, I might as well say, I think Eric Dyer. Um, but I think Gareth has got these players that he knows he can trust. Fabian Delph, okay, not, he doesn't won't get in the squad these days, but back in 2018, he was on a run of form that maybe wasn't wasn't the best. But Gareth knew his personality and and what he could actually bring to the team, and selected him. And I I think maybe Eric Dyer may be one of those players as well. People will raise a few eyebrows, but it's players that that he can trust. And if he needs to come on for, uh, I don't know, the last five minutes of a game, a substitute. He knows that he can trust him to come on and, and just do the job that he's put there to do. Yeah, I think to be fair to Gareth, um, he, he he does like to pick players in form as well. Like, um, remember, Joe Hart was in, in goal for the England-Scotland game. Um and the next year he wasn't even in the tournament, um, which just shows he doesn't go by previous reputations. He didn't bring back Rooney um, either when people were trying to say, um, why are you leaving out Rooney? But he he left them out because he realised that Rooney wasn't going to be the same player. And mm. even gave, I mean, the one that surprised me in the last tournament was Ashley Young, but then Ashley Young went and had a decent tournament as well. So it'll be interesting to see who picks in goal um, because... Pickford's been getting a lot of criticism this time around and Pope's been doing well, but does he stick with um, the one that he's trusted all this time? Well, this is the thing. Has, has Jordan Henderson ever really let England down? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, and it was only the last squad, the World Cup squad, um, where England played San Marino, Albania and Poland, that because Pickford was injured, that Southgate's hand was forced 
Um, and Pope came in and benefited, really, played all three games there. Um, and, and the thing with the England goalkeeping situation is, as I said earlier, I've, I mean, I've gone back and looked through the squads that he's picked and, and tried to evaluate who he'll pick for this, this squad upcoming. And goalkeepers, there's Tom Heaton, Nick Pope, Butland, Pickford, he picked Johnston um, for the last squad at West Brom and Dean Henderson. And I think it's it's but, uh, Butland and Heaton aren't, aren't playing. Um, Sam Johnston's just gone down um, with West Brom. Now, Henderson is going to be playing for United in the Europa League final. Will he come back a little bit tired? I don't know. Um, but I, I genuinely think that he will stick with Pickford. Pope has proved he's a, a good backup. And I think maybe Henderson is is one for the future. Yeah, I think it'll do him good, Sam, just being in the squads. And he's obviously broken through in the United team this season. So, yeah, it's not a bad bunch of goalkeepers you've got to pick from. Um, so... We're a wee bit over time, but we've just I'll just round off with a couple of quick fire questions. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, of all the uh, apart from Wembley, what's the best stadium you've been to for for a football match with England? Oh, best stadium! Oh, try and think. Um, enjoyed the. Um, what's that? The Dortmund ground. Um, oh, yeah, Eng- England, yeah, England played Germany in a friendly a couple of years ago, and that was a great ground, um, seeing what would have been the yellow wall and how big it is and, and how how steep it is. That, that was a good, a good ground to see. Um, I mean, a, a lot of grounds are... Some of them have got sort of the... A running track ones which which none of us are particularly fond of um and then there are sort of games like uh, grounds like lithuania where they're, they're tiny little places on a on a 3g pitch i think that one was um i mean i've never been i've never seen england in somewhere like the the bernabeu um or the san siro which would be which would be great to go to. I mean, I've been to the Bernabeu, but not seen England play there. I'd love to go to the San Siro and, and see England, Italy there. Um, some of the games in some of the grounds in the Ukraine and Donetsk, um, thinking at that ground, the Donbass, that it was a great ground. And unfortunately, now I think it's just it's just it's not a pile of rubble but it's certainly seen better days just to the the unfortunate events in ukraine um but yeah it's i mean watching football following england around you do get to see some some good grounds and, and some ropey ones as well yeah definitely and i bet you enjoy the ball you just enjoy them for what they are um absolutely what's your um we talk a lot in our podcast about what our favorite pies at the field because that's our football food but what's um, your favorite food at the football Anywhere that you've been? Oh, do you know what? I, I don't tend to... I mean, at Wembley games, I I try not to buy a great deal at Wembley because uh, the prices... <laughs> yeah, the prices are horrendous, to be fair. Um, away games, I'll, I'll often try... You try and 
get the local cuisine um, and, and try something new. Um, in fact, if we're allowed to, to travel to um, Middlesbrough, if we're allowed access to the games against Austria and Romania for the friendlies, there's talk of a, is it a Middlesbrough Palmo or something, right. uh, which is which just looks like a, a cardiac arrest on a uh, on a polystyrene plate to be honest um but it's something that i want to try and try out um yeah i don't know i haven't got a food of choice but wherever i'll wherever we go i'll always try and find um the local delicacy i, I had a kiev in kiev put it that nice. way <laughs> <laughs> and um, what's your favorite beer i, I don't think i've got a a particular favourite. I'm, I'm quite quite weird actually in the fact that I like I like ale over the over the winter months, and then as soon as the clock changes, then I'll I'll, I'll start drinking lager. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't have a uh, I don't have a, a favourite beer as such, as long as it's cold and wet. To be fair, and not Foster's. Yeah, oh, that's definitely um, a popular <laughs> answer. Um, anyone that says Foster's would just be booted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've obviously been to a lot of games, sampled a lot of singing. Um, what's your top three football songs? And they can either be ones that have been in the charts or just ones that you just like to chant at Wembley or wherever you go to. What? Top three. So, uh, do you know, probably my my top, my, my number one sort of song that would have been in the charts um would be new orders world in motion it's like a great the track. way yeah i mean the people often i sort of have a toss-up between that and three lions um but world in motion i think is that's one of those ones it was the right time it was the right place new order were sort of that that era back in 1990 and the way it just starts is one of those songs whenever it comes on it is hairs on the back of your neck for me um for that one and yeah i mean you, you can't knock three lines that always seems to to go down well um but on the terraces i don't know i guess i guess when when we're winning and, and scoring lots of goals are you scotland in disguise always seems to to uh, to sort of get sung um but yes yeah, always in jest <laughs> So right when we're um, playing uh, one of the Celtic nations, it's we hate England more than you. Um, <laughs> um, and, the, and that's what know, it's all about, isn't it? It's, exactly. it's just good fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, you obviously know that all, m- most England fans, I don't know how what sitting beside the fence you sit on there, but most England fans probably want Scotland to do okay, but it's not reciprocated up here. Um, we see that because from a rival point of view, but we know that England don't see us as a main rival, it's more Germany, but we just have a laugh with it, don't we? Yeah, I mean, what, what is it, you guys, is it the acronym uh, E-B, uh, A-B-E? A-B-E, is it anyone, yes. but in, anyone but England? Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, but thankfully we've got our, our proper team to support this time and, <laughs> and we can properly treat you as a rival because you're in our section, so um, we'll yeah. see what happens. Um, Right, final question. New US was coming up. Um, name a six-a-side England team from your lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So in in players that I've seen, and I I started jotting names down, and I realised that I was like, this is just the Euro '96 team, 
and and I had visions of of me being at, at Euro '96. I'm watching it, but so I mean, I guess as a six-a-side team, I'd have Seaman in goal um, as an Arsenal supporter as well. I think I thought Seaman was great. I mean, Chilton was in my time as well, but you kind of look back on on a couple of Chilton's. I say Shilton's errors, but then you look at some of Seaman's errors as well. Um, but no, I, I think Seaman was a uh, was a great England keeper. Defenders wise, I, I I'd go with Tony Adams. I thought Tony Adams had a had a wonderful year in '86. Yeah, and would work in tandem with with Seaman. I'd have Pierce, Stuart Pierce, capable of scoring scoring from a penalty, and you know you're getting. 100% England pure passion with Pierce. Really hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those media stereotypes, isn't it? Um, uh, good player, to be fair, Pierce. Very yeah, good player. And so, yeah, moving into, into the middle, Gascoigne um, was just, just a phenomenon. Um, where, wherever he went, whatever club side he played for, playing for England as well. Um, I mean, so many things that you could say about Gasser that, I mean, he, he was just great. I think to see him on a six-a-side pitch with with plenty of other sort of England legends would be great. I don't know quite how he would work with Beckham. Um, I mean, I think I'm possibly just picking big names to see on a six-a-side pitch. Whether Gazza and Beckham would work together in the middle, I'm not quite sure. Probably not. They'd both be floating forward and left to uh, to Adams and Pierce to sort out the back, which more than capable of. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd have Beckham alongside him. Great, great player. As, again, like like Gasser, this, this, it does all this talking on the pitch. And then up front, I was kind of like, well, who who would I have up front? I mean, I've seen lots of England strikers in my time and have obviously scored so many goals. I mean, you've got the likes of of Lineker when I first really started following England and watching England right through to now. We've got Kane, who is arguably going to be the uh, the top England goal scorer in time. And I thought, well, in the middle here, sort of between those, you've got Shearer and you've got Owen. And you've got Rooney. I was like, where? It's a six-a-side team and I've got five strikers here. Um, <laughs> so I, th- I think I'd pump for Rooney. I think simply yeah. because he... Yeah, I mean, I was. it was a toss-up between Shearer and Rooney. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, Look, as I say, this is pretty much a Euro 96 team. I've got to diverse it up a little bit. So I think I'd, mm-hmm. I'd go for Rooney. Um, yeah. top, top England goal scorer. Yeah, that's a, fair, that's a fair enough six aside team. But listen then, thanks very much for your time, Russell. Um, hope you enjoyed the tournament. Hope we don't do too well. <laughs> but no, enjoy the tournament. Hope you get lucky and get a ticket. And um, yeah, look forward to um, banter before and after um, June 18th when England play Scotland, of course. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tournament to, to look forward to. And I'm sure, even though I've said I'm not looking forward to it as much at the moment, it, that excitement will, will come round. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, and so we'll we'll be doing a, a a various podcasts in in the run up to it, speaking with with various opposition supporters, and and I hope you can can join me for the Scotland episode. I definitely will. Just let me know when, and I'll be there. Thanks very much, Russell. Take care. Take care. Cheers.
But I'll give you one more chance Yes sir, I can boogie 